the Mary Had a Little Lamb <laughs> that Thomas Edison recorded on the first that was a okay. That was the first recording ever. Maybe that was a little <laughs> bit cooler. But this is the first recording in my new place in Oak Park, Illinois. That's great. We're we're Game of Owns. We're a show that most of you that are listening regularly do listen to regularly. I think the facts work out somehow in that way, right? Yeah. And actually, now that I'm in Oak Park, I feel like we should stage some sort of a, a battle or something here because they got a lot of parks here. And uh, there's lots of trees and stuff, and I want to work on, you know, maybe with the the district, I want to work on getting a uh, Thrones Clash of Kings battle. Maybe we'll call it Clash of Kings. Like goo LARPing, basically. It's like goo-sanctioned LARPing. It's like, are you guys here because you listen to that podcast? Good, let's LARP together. Yes. Like, that'd be a fun time. Yes. Or it may turn into a flash mob, but you never know. Either way, we all have some fun, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Monday on the podcast. We are here. Micah is still here, ladies and gentlemen. He has not left the country yet, but he will be soon. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as actually I mentioned on uh, one of the episodes last week, I am uh, going to uh, trade goods with Selena. Uh, I'm going to exchange. <laughs> You're going to Dorne for this or Karth? Uh, Karth, uh, by, just by geographic uh, location. It tends to work out a little bit better there since I'm going east. Uh, yes, I, f- I forget what I'm supposed to be bringing Selena. She's going to have to remind me, but I do remember that she is going to trade me camel balls in exchange for what I bring over to the her. The joke that will never die, camel balls. It's true. You know, we almost have people daily telling us that, hey, we tried these because of you, and they're good. We're from Bratislava, and they sell it here. They were so good. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's fun. We've had uh, we've had a really nice influx of of you guys writing in personally because uh some of our email centric endings of our recent episodes. I wasn't anywhere near the show last week because sometimes I dance in fire and it takes up a little bit of my time. But <laughs> uh it still existed and lots of things were written, and lots of things were said because I believe that we're all united in this effort of now being somewhere I think near past the halfway point in a Clash of Kings, which is pretty magical. It's it's roughly right around there, yeah, right around the half halfway point and it it seems to be I don't know if going into this chapter I couldn't have said wow this is really going to be that you know the the point in the book where things change but I I don't know an outcome kind of seems a little bit closer by the outset of this uh you know mostly because the the most pressing matter for Catelyn uh gets a a a red uh resolution a crimson resolution if you will very specific. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know, guys. I was uh, I had to laugh because um, at the beginning of the chapter, I wasn't sure why Catelyn was going off on her own to this another one of these ghost towns that's been abandoned. But did she go all the way there just to pray to the old to the seven? Yeah, well, she wanted to leave at the end of the day, and Renly in the last chapter. Uh, which is only two episodes ago. So <laughs> trying that, yeah. to, uh, <laughs> We're back with Catelyn. Catelyn Stark, everybody. Hey, guess guess who George R. R. Martin's favorite character is? Who? Catelyn. As Tyrion. was pointed out in the text, right? Renly doesn't want her to leave. She wants to go back to River Run. Right, Renly right. wants her to stay, and she's just uh, in a uh, interesting state of mind here. So she goes and she prays in the uh, closest place possible. You know, she, it's it's quite an interesting. Uh, scene, right? As she's going through each of the seven and, and these different faces are sort of popping out in front of her and she's comparing gods and, and men, really. It was kind of an eye-opening scene. It wasn't very much to do with the context of what's actually happening. 
here right. on Westeros with these kings going toward each other and fighting very heavily. Essentially, what happened was she was seeing the embodiment in the faces of all of these different people in her life, even Cersei she saw in the mother, you know, because even the mother or even Cersei prays to her. You know, this is a question she had for when she was uh, in this place praying. She was like, can this terrible of a person really have sort of the same idea line as me, the same thoughts? Can she really be trying to protect her family and her kids just like me? And I think it grounds so many of our characters in a way, especially when she was saying, okay, well, John is a warrior. Okay, Rob is a warrior. You know what I mean? Like, Stannis is a warrior. Renly is a warrior. And she's mm -hmm. putting all of these people in their places in the Seven and saying how certain people embody these characteristics. And it was it was really cool because we were able to see so much depth without her leaving a physical place. Yeah, she's essentially like, I imagined her like kneeling and just thinking these thoughts. I mean, things like, and you mentioned, of course, Cersei was brought up actually on more than one uh, in more than one way here, I think at first she sees uh, her sister or something with Cersei's eyes. It was all weird and trippy. Um, but then it gets a little bit more understandable where um, she basically, I think she prays to the mother for protection of all sons. And essentially like the whole war, she's like, <laughs> watch after everybody, um, you know, at some point because she she has that sympathy. And that's kind of one of those things that's, Little, you know, nice about the Catelyn chapters is because she is quite thoughtful and, and she kind of seems like she'd be willing to accept a really bizarre, um, you know, kind of if, if a stunning realization were to occur to her as it does with Jamie and Cersei, she seems like she'd be like one of the people who could roll with it. I don't know. She's just like, is Cersei good? Is Cersei bad? I'm open to ideas. Um, but of course she's still got the scars on her hands that remind her that, uh, the Lannisters are. Pretty nasty work. Yeah, I mean, I, and there was the point in the chapter where she was thinking it might have been the first ever realization we've had written. I want to say in paper, the first realization we've had in paper where she was like, Bran must have seen something super, super bad <laughs> for him to not only be attacked in whatever way he was, or you know, to be thrown off the wall and to have his injuries, but to send a murderer in the night, to send mm. an assassin. Yeah. There must be some serious shit going down with these Lannisters. That was really the thing that you know, made it even more suspicious is when that guy, obviously, I mean, we talked about that when it was happening, but still like in the end, you're like looking back, they probably shouldn't have tried to cover it up so hard. Yeah. It was, it, it was a strong attempt that like really put her actions into motion, which is why she did anything in the first place. Right. But there is the question. I mean, she basically, I think I forget who she's talking to one of her confidants uh, later in this chapter. And she says, you know, we should go to Bran and get him to, to spread his word of what he saw. But ultimately I'm not sure that Bran remembers yet. You know, maybe he could be made to remember because uh, Catelyn basically surmises uh, and she hears from somebody else that both Jamie and Cersei were at Winterfell at that time. Everybody else was hunting. Um, so it seems even more plausible that they were caught either in the act or something Bran overheard. But I mean, she basically figured it out. It's kind of cool to have these moments where these long mysteries are, are you know, have these reveals. Yeah. And I mean, we did have the chapter not too long ago, though, where. Brand does see Jamie Lannister's face. So there is that realization, at least to the reader, that perhaps Brand now knows what exactly happened to him. So he may not know the full context of what he saw and he may not understand it, but he well, knows when a man who is responsible. <laughs> no, he knows who's responsible for him falling from that tower. Yeah. Uh, and now Catalan tries, as you mentioned, to 
bring Bran before Rob and Stannis and Renly to tell his story, and she hopes that maybe that would in some way unite all of them together. But I think she's at this point just kind of grasping at straws. You know, another time that we saw the Seven, in fact, I think the first time we we heard, really read about the Seven was the Davos chapter, or maybe it was the prologue uh, of this book where they were being burned. Now they've just been left behind kind of at this, this deserted, you know, castle and stuff. But the totems of them are described and, you know, Catelyn and I guess sides the most with the mother for obvious reasons. But she said really that pretty much all of them have their own, you know, kind of relevance to people at different times. And I, I thought that was cool and getting a little bit more description of, you know, the stranger and, and all the other gods was really useful. I mean, especially for her praying, but for us to be like, oh, which God would we, you know, pray to the most or something like that. So I, I don't know. I just like reading. It's weird because this book does have so much religion in it. Um, and religion, as we know, even later in this chapter can be quite deadly. Right. And it's funny that it happens in this chapter, <laughs> which is a chapter where supernatural things happen to probably our most grounded character in the yeah. series. Yeah, I would agree with that. She sees something that is just beyond what she can comprehend. And it all begins when she enters the glowing, emerald, beautiful palace of what is in Renly's army, his host at night. You know, I can only imagine what it must have been like. <laughs> this is prim and proper Renly Baratheon about to actually ride into some kind of battle against his brother. And, and where do we find him? Non-surprised, we find him getting dressed by Brienne in some of the most brilliant looking deep, deep shades of green with gold trimmings. Kind of looks like <laughs> some armor I'd wear on Warcraft. And he's getting set up pretty well. You know, nice little padded helmets to go on before the metal helmet goes on itself. You know, taking all the proper steps to fight <laughs> in battle. <laughs> I wish I had some of those padded helmets when I would play sports as a kid. <laughs> like a second layer just in case. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the helmets hurt themselves. <laughs> the helmets do hurt, man. I think I tried on, uh, it wasn't male, but you know, it's any of those medieval helmets, man. It's, it's like being on a roller coaster and it's not necessarily the twists and the turns it's actually just being in the seat when it vibrates and your head you know gets right. jerked around that hurts the <laughs> most maybe i'm just revealing myself to be a giant pansy but you know i mean renly is prepping and and, and you gotta love him because he is going through with it he's not under any circumstances he doesn't have cold feet in fact there's a, a pretty long discussion about status and how one of the advisors, one of the guys comes in and says, uh, Renly, what do we do if Stannis yields? <laughs> and uh, Renly's like, yeah, he's not going to yield. He was eating his own boots and rats and stuff rather than uh, surrender, <laughs> surrender during the Battle of Storm's End. <laughs> you know, it's uh, just like yeah. uh, he's not going yeah. anywhere. But That's a great point. But too. he did say, though, like he doesn't want Stannis's body mutilated. How about that? How about let's just give it up Okay, for, for, for Renly on, on, on that because – any king or any person, as it seems, who can, who calls themselves king, can order their bannermen to do these horrific things to bodies. I mean, Joffrey, you know, is a prime example of that. So, uh, especially with the fool, you know, drown him with wine. Uh, right. So, I think there that, are worse ways to go. Okay, okay, there are worse <laughs> ways. That wasn't my go-to worse way, yeah. but but it's a, it's an unusual punishment, is what I mean to say. And and so oh, it is the fact that Renly chose to specifically state no, leave his body intact. He is my brother, after all. He's a Baratheon, et cetera, et cetera. Really shows character. It's interesting to hear you talk like this because uh, 
you know, I was editing last week's episodes. And, oh God! You know, no, I mean your your thoughts on Renly are all valid. You know, all of these different takes we have on characters. You know, with Selena and her her love of Brienne, and you know, me and my love of people that do weird shit. I, I don't really understand, but it's just it, you have four personalities, and and they come together, and it's it's interesting interesting to see it painted out because even now, uh, it's clear that you know Renly is a great guy. There's something about him that's just he's got a, a boyish quality to him, and it, he brings that youth into his adult life and we we are comforted by that because like micah was saying last week he seems to be the most modern man that we can relate to so you know he's a good guy but you also understand that in in so many ways he's so dipshit of a self-absorbed leader you mm-hmm. know yeah and this is just like it, this this chapter shows both of those sides together yeah uh, i agree with that even going back to the chapters from last week that we read I kind of said that I didn't kind of I did say that Renly would probably not look to kill Stannis and clearly based upon this chapter that's not entirely correct um he just thinks that Stannis probably would not in any way shape or form sur- surrender and and I think I did say that during the show last week I I said I thought it would be more on Stannis's end that he would look to be killed as opposed to Renly you know, looking to murder his own brother. And so it, there's, there's a bit of truth to what I said. And I guess a bit of an amendment to what I said based upon what Renly had to say in this chapter. Do you think Stannis would do like a Boromir and just like take a bunch of arrows and then die? Yeah, because I think he'd, he'd try. I gotta go cry. Hold on. Defend (laughs) his own purpose, right? For honor, right? I mean, I think if it really came to it, Stannis would have to be. I mean, I guess I'm getting flashbacks, or is it flash forwards of Blackwater? Because is this is that is that a flashback or flash? It has to be a flash uh, back Sideways. because time time wise, I've seen the show Blackwater episode before reading the chapter in the book, so it's a flashback. But Stannis's face when he's forcibly pulled and removed from battle, he was killing guys left and right. Yeah, yeah, obviously, but but he would have kept going is the thing. And and, yeah. and he didn't he almost couldn't see reason. He was so into the battle of like being vicious. So yeah, I think he probably based on that little bit as well, I, I think he would have just fought to the death. Right. So it in the end of the day it it's more on Stannis than it would be on Renly. I mean I don't I don't necessarily see Renly as the the one who sort of would would go into battle seeking out his brother specifically and looking to, you know, chop his head off as opposed to, let's say, the Hound of the Mountain, right? Those two would go at each other if they were instructed to do so, even though right now, obviously, they're on the same side. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. If you pitted those two against each other, they would go for blood, no questions asked. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about mixing their names together. It's either the Houghton or the Mound. <laughs> There's actually no clear winner there. Oh, I like the, them both. The Houghton or the Mound? Because <laughs> the Mound the is not mound. very scary for a big, you know, bulky dude. But I don't know, man. Some mounds hide terrible creatures underneath. Yes. Like Antlions. Oh, man. Um, they're terrible. Wow. But, uh, you know, we got to mention for Barak Dondarrion. I don't know why I'm thinking of Barak Dondarrion, except that he was mentioned in this chapter as possibly being in, you know, kind of on the field. They're, they're wondering where he might be. Um, and I think Renly has specific instructions. Like, if you come across Barak, here's what you do. But he's, he's kind of managed to elude people ever since he was forcibly removed from 
King's Landing. So that was interesting. They're not sure what to what to face, but but you know, going into this battle, I guess, and 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 actually, Renly has the option to move in early. I think it is like Catelyn uh, sees that the men are, are saying, "Do we go in early or what?" But dawn was the prearranged, it's the agreed time to start the war, um, and so they don't go in early, which is useful, except to say that you know, unfortunately, maybe if they had gone in early, the shadow creature would have like gotten lost what if get lost on what ifs are going to be here all day yeah, <laughs> the yeah. the sun would have rose and it would have burned the shadow baby yes exactly yes. by the way you said beric dondarian before i think you meant barristan selmy oh oh yeah i was wondering i was literally about to bring that up i mean you know well, where names. the heck is beric dondarian anyway <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was interesting. I was because I was like, I'm making a is he making a point? Okay, good. Barristan, <laughs> tell me who the hell knows where he is. But I think George is making an obvious effort to keep him in our thoughts and mm-hmm. to show his value by having all of these leaders. Like, where the hell is he? Well, if you find him, could you just tell him to come in, come over here and talk to us for a minute? Like, if we win, he can come. I mean, if not, you know, we're not going to bother him with it. But if we win, he should come hang out. You know, well, Selmy's one of those dudes who really could be fighting for Stannis. Really could be fighting. You just don't know because he's he's very honorable, right? He's one of those few remaining good men who. Were, Why can't we just crown him? Just crown him now. Uh, but Beric Beric Dondarrion, he's off uh, trying to win a Wicknet Award for best action scene. Oh. It's true. What a perfect time to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Well, more on that later. But uh, back to Renly and his. You know, Renly's one of those characters who's very few and far between. You get to a character who's so great that he actually casts two shadows. Oh. Oh wait. That's not his That's shadow. That's terrible. That's a different shadow. What? I thought it was a, a good transition. I think it's a funny joke. It's a great funny joke, but it makes me sad. Eric. Oh, 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 okay. Yes, it's terrible. In fact, here's the thing, though, that with the TV show, that I think the TV, that I'm so glad that it was adapted for TV because we got to see Melisandre, well, giving birth to the demon, but also we just got to see what it was because in the book, it really isn't even described as a shadow figure. It's a shadow that could very well be Renly's, except it isn't. But the way it's worded is just not like a shadow creature that was clearly supernatural, clearly came and stabbed him in the heart. It's it's like there's a blade and then it's like through his heart and all of a sudden he's choking up blood. You know, really kind of leaves more to the imagination, which is nice, but it really depends on what you what you want, you know, out of it. I, I think seeing the other side of things from Stannis's perspective was a great addition to this part of the book. The easiest way to describe it to you all listening, if you haven't read, is to say, like, from the Peter Pan films, when he's fighting with his own shadow, and his shadow's like, forget you, man. The same kind of thing happened here. <laughs> it was literally his shadow. And, the I mean, I hate to go right into talking about it because it's such a terrible thing, because we see a character actually die. This is part of the brutality we were warned about. And now, big time, huge character, Rinley Baratheon, one of the kings, mm-hmm is dead and he was stabbed and by his own shadow. So Catelyn saw a gust of wind open one of the flaps on the tent. And so she's just in there and they're just talking. And just like the show, Brienne is dressing Renly and it's that same conversational moment, except she sees the shadow draw a sword and stab Renly. And she saw that Renly's sword never left the holster. So when they both see Renly stabbed, just pouring blood through his throat, they're like, oh, shit, it's about to go down. Both of them knew that it was over. Yeah. And unfortunately, here's the thing, though. Like, they're obviously a fight ensues right away um, afterwards. And, and it's because nobody 
nobody knows who did it, but there's panic and Brienne is accused. And, and, you know, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the, what was odd is as we were reading it and it's, it's all detracting from what has just happened. It's all like kind of distracting us, right. From, from worrying about Renly because he is on the floor and his blood is coming out in pulses. It is said. And, and that means that his heart is still beating. Like he's actually dying quite slowly. Uh, if you think about it, if he's still kind of just bleeding to death there, it's, it's just the terrible. Well, here, here it is directly from the book. Yeah. Okay. Right from the book. Catelyn is speaking. She is basically begging Renly to come to a different agreement in this entire chapter. To come to an agreement, she's almost pitching, a, uh, she calls it a council, but to me it almost seems in a way uh, a twisted version of our current democracy, what with the electoral college just being forced in and uh, the pool of votes is just, it's like picking a pope, I guess. It's like we're all cardinals here. <laughs> Who's going to be the leader? She pitches that. She's in the middle of pitching this to him. She says, I beg you in the name of the mother. That was three accents in one. <laughs> Catelyn began with a sudden gust of wind, flung open the door from the tent. She thought she glimpsed movement, but when she turned her head, it was only the king's shadow shifting against the silken walls. She heard Renly begin a jest, his shadow moving, lifting its sword, black on green, candles guttering, shivering. Something was queer, wrong. And then she saw Renly's sword, still in its scabbard, sheathed still, but the shadow sword. And then Renly just says the word cold in a puzzled voice. And then he basically starts dying. He was stabbed. It was cold. It was cold. That's like a spirit. Like they say, like you touch a ghost, right? And it's cold. It also reminds me of the film Mirrors, which is quite terrifying if you haven't already seen it. Um, Kiefer Sutherland is actually in that movie. Um, but Sounds exciting. He was yeah, great in touch. He, <laughs> it is cold. It is a cold sword. And, and, you know, unfortunately for Renly, it's – but. Maybe fortunately for the realm, there's one less pope to choose. The reason your pope analogy works so well is because of the smoke, of the fact that it's like <laughs> smoky and it's a shadow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Catalan mentions that she can almost feel as if Stannis is in the room somehow, right? Now that's queer. Talk about queer. Um, because isn't it, it's, it's weird. Yes. She swears. And I think she says this later to Brienne that she could swear she felt. Stannison, but as they're struggling for words, when Brienne is accused and she's like, "But it wasn't me; it was, it was, it was Stannis." All of a sudden, like the words leave her mouth, and everybody knows, or Catelyn at least knows that it's that it's true that it must have been Stannis. And she felt his presence, which she realizes later, but wouldn't have been like Melisandre's presence, or is it clearly like Stannis does in fact have something to do with the magic? That he impregnated her. Is that work right? It's his kid right seed. yeah it's his seed in the demon spawn world their magic is weird i haven't studied it that much but <laughs> that's my guess if you have studied it you can write in and let you, us know i was like between me Give this is like or, i would think that this is between melisandre and her god but somehow stannis did play a role uh i don't know if like the, the red god is just the surrogate <laughs> father i don't really know but it, it looks like stannis actually it looks like renly acts like stannis and does Melisandre's bidding. I don't know. The best part about this entire exchange um, when she's explaining the situation is that it doesn't really happen in the show. This is one of those walls that don't get broken down where you're mm -hmm. kind of like stomping your feet and you're saying, Catelyn, why didn't you just tell them that you not, you're not crazy and it was a shadow thing so you guys don't have to run and Brienne isn't cast as a traitor? 
And she does that and it buys them a little bit of time. It buys them enough time for her to pull an epic fucking move that we didn't get to see. She takes an iron candelabra brazier thing and rocks Surimin on the back of the head with it before taking off with Brienne. They immediately after they leave the tent from attacking this guy, she's like, all right, act cool, be casual. And so she's like, you know, people know who we are, so let's walk slowly. So they walk slowly enough to exit the camp and meet their people on the outside. I, I w- the only thing that would improve that escape is if they did it on Camelback. <laughs> I've been watching Prison Break, so I just appreciate how she was able to think of it on the spot and just get out so quickly. Impressive. Kudos to you. And now where they go is known only to people who've read and people who've seen the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's left open and, and I, I, look, I, I think Brienne was genuinely upset and and of course she, i mean she was in tears she sounded like a little girl actually when she cried and that's that's not like an insult that's just like there was such an innocence or such a pure life force to 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 renly and to see that extinguished so quickly so unfairly um and the fact that she can't or couldn't protect him you know we're gonna feel that guilt she's gonna feel that guilt for for years to come um it's just it's 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 a bit odd to move on because renly has just died man and that that means there's going to be far less feasting. Goodbye, Renly. <laughs> I feel like we should play because th- we should play uh, Norma Jean or uh, Goodbye Norma Jean. <laughs> I thought of the metal band. I was like, okay, you like them? All yeah, right. no, 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 your, your candle burned out uh, long before your legend ever did. But. Sadly, this is the moment where we transition into owns, and I hope that for the sake of the honor of Renly, no one here gives it to the shadow baby puppet thing for killing Renly. <laughs> no, no, that would be. That would be too obvious. He was alive and then he wasn't. Well, so I, he I, was <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like uh, I'll go first here. I feel like on this show, we don't give enough owns to cracks. Um, oh, God. So uh, I'm going to go out a little, little obscurus here, um, but I'm going to give an own to a crack that had appeared um, on the face of the mother god, and the situation is it's this aged um, figurehead of the mother, but it's got a crack in just the right area to appear that the mother is crying and uh, therefore sympathizing with uh, Catelyn and her plight. And I, I like to believe that that is meaningful and that the mother is actually out there crying for Catelyn. Um, so that is the own. Delicious own, Eric. Tasted good. Mm, thank you. I think I have to give it to uh, to Catelyn though. At the very end of the chapter, you're doing this despite me. To, seriously, <laughs> gets go back on, to Micah. camp, and she's just like, "Boys, let's go. Time to leave." You know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's just probably the best part because after all that, literally, they just get out of the camp and her whole crew is waiting with like wagons just the greatest escape plan and, and she's looking back on the camp and uh, it's just it's epic oh you know what else would be a fitting music for this is the uh, theme song for that mag- magnificent seven that would be <laughs> do, 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 as they set on the uh as they set out sorry i'm thinking aloud which leads to my own i'm gonna give it to i don't think this is that obscurist i think that the people of Rinley's host and their ability to spread gossip faster than wildfire. You know, from the Ooh. moment it happened, a few people were inside of the tent. And then immediately after, she said that by the time they reached their camp and, and made it to their people, that the entire place was just buzzing. Like, oh, shit, the king is dead. What do we do now? And it was just an astronomically high rate. And I think it says a lot about the people that were there, too. So good job, George. That was a great little bit that you put in there. And that's my own. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That that actually shows good respect on your part, Zach, for just the mechanics of human of old school <laughs> old school communication, right? It's like a panic button before electricity. It's like what are you I gonna do? I think Sir Robar actually tweeted and that's what did it. Yeah, oh, and they all get yeah. the instant notifications yep. on their cell phones. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of tweets, we have a, a Twitter account that exists. And sometimes on the show, we go, hey, let's read what you guys write. Because that's, to us, probably two-thirds to one-third of, of the fun here. Because it's all about you, dude. So what do we have? Very much so. Let's take a look at our Twitter box. Now, once again, our Twitter address is twitter.com slash owns. Well, actually, first we got up uh, a tweet from Bailey who says hi uh, to us. Yeah, Actually, she's three highs, maybe once for each show that will air this week. Hi, hi, and hi. Hi. Rather than read just one hi at a time uh, on each of our shows this week, we will actually read them uh, just at once. Okay, so there we go. Uh, thank you, Bailey, for that. Now, Pluisa, who we often go to, and she, you know, let's everybody follow in Pluisa's steps and, and, and get your tweet in in a... Uh, timely fashion and, and have it be a good own such as Pluesis, which is that shadow sword owned not just Renly but Kat and Brienne. Man, that was cold and a game of Thrones changer. That was tweet was just full of when. <laughs> well I think it's I think I understand what Pluisa was trying to say in 140 characters or less, which is uh the reason I agree with it uh is that, you know, up until now we've known there was magic and with the exception of dragons, how often does that magic that we hear about, children of the forest, they're long gone, this, that, the other thing, actually kill people? Actually right. creep up right behind them using their own shadow and stab them with a ghost sword. Like, it, it that made magic real. In front of Catelyn, no less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't afraid. Yeah. It wasn't afraid that she'd tell it not to play ball in the house. Right. <laughs> it just played ball. and It did. Yeah. Your tweet, though, man, that was cold. I see the temperature joke. Also, he said cold, and it also sucked, so I get that. And when you said a Game of Thrones changer, not just a game changer, which is a popular phrase, a Game of Thrones changer. Like, concise, perfect tweet, Pluisa. Mm -hmm. Five gold stars. Thank you, Pluisa. Five gold stars. Also, Andrew Erbs, we were talking about this just a moment ago. Andrew Erbs sends this in. Renly's complete disregard for the cost of his claim shows how he is selfish and a terrible commander for the coming crisis. We, it's kind of a, I want to say reverse on there, but in general, Renly, he's saying that Renly um, doesn't care how much it costs, which is true, obviously. I thought he was saying that we were talking about herbs earlier. Delicious herbs. Our next own comes from Karen Smith, who says, my own goes to Renly for asking Loris to stay and pray with him when he probably meant stay and play. <laughs> I think Clutch. that's from the last Catalan chapter. It is, chapter, yeah, it is. But that's okay. The final own from today is from Emily's self, who says, Catlin owned foreshadowing the womb shadow with Renly's shadow knights. Ooh. Quote, end quote, end quote. And Thanks, Emily. Quote. There, is, uh, there is another place that you can leave comments uh, for these episodes, and uh, one of them is winneriscoming.net. There was a great post uh, that was made actually on our last episode, or actually our last Catalan episode, not our last episode, because uh, we got into a pretty heavy debate as it related to Stannis and Renly and who technically has, if anybody, the proper right to the throne. 
And um, this was written by Lolius Palacanus. This person goes on to say, It is good to remember the War of the Usurper wasn't actually fought to usurp the throne, but to have justice for the deaths of Rickard and Brandon Stark. And Jeffrey Malister, Kyle Royce, Albert Aaron, and their fathers, and the kidnapping of Lyanna. Robert Baratheon hated the Targaryens so much that in the end he did want to eradicate them all, however. He was the son of Stephen Baratheon, whose mother was Rael Targaryen. This was the claim by which Robert was put on the throne. Even though he mentions this a couple times in Game of Thrones, he himself didn't want this. So even Robert's kingship was legitimate. I think they mean legitimized, not legitimated. Okay, <laughs> I like uh, it. By descent, even if the inheritance laws through the female line aren't very clear. Therefore, mm. Renly is more a usurper than Robert was, and Stannis has the right of it. Why hast thou forsaken me? I love this chain of thought. I love it. And I love the comments on what is coming. Yeah, no, we've had a lot of really great conversations kind of centered around this point, and uh, I see so much of the point. And we have a lot of, uh, of Stannis supporters that regularly comment on our shows on Wick, and, you know, going further into this book, getting more context on his character outside of what we are just sort of spoon-fed in the TV show, it's clear that where he might not be the most amiable and likable personality-wise – uh, king going for the throne. Stannis has got his ducks in a row. I mean, he's, his shit mixing in with magic is stupid, and I think it's probably going to bode unwell for him in the future. I'm not sure, but he is much like a Ned Stark character that we love so much, and if he had a different last name and maybe a few different adjectives to describe him, I think he would be much more of an audience favorite. It's possible. We do love your audience feedback, and it comes in many shapes and sizes, different kinds of forms and ways you guys package for delivery. In this particular case, Christina Helwig scrawled on our Facebook wall, including a photograph. She just said this. This car is driving in front of me. She put a picture of me in our show notes. That is a, a license plate that says Hodor in Tennessee. So thank you. <laughs> Very cool car, too. So thank you, Christina. I didn't know Christian moved. Man, if I were him, I would get that license plate in all the states. <laughs> just In every cap. Have a wall of them, yeah. Well, uh, guys, before we uh, wrap up the show today, we, we do all know and we joked about it on friday's episode a little bit teased it probably is more accurate uh that it's award season right and uh the emmys just took place not too long ago winnerscoming.net has their own award show so to speak that they're uh, that they're doing with releasing a, a new award for fans to vote on each week the the one thing that you can guarantee though with the wicknet awards is that game of thrones will actually win something yeah yeah woo well it's 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 kind of like, honestly, though, Game of Thrones is all the nominees. <laughs> does this person from Game of Thrones win or does this person from Game of Thrones win? But that is right. Everybody is a winner or there's a yeah. winner every time. Let's just say that there's a Game of Thrones <laughs> winner every time. Well, this particular week we are voting for best action scene. The nominees include Sam kills a White Walker. <laughs> Jorah, Dario and Grey Worm take Young Kai. Young Kai. The mutiny of the Night's Watch at Crastus Keep. The wildlings scale the wall. Mm. Or Beric Dondarrion duels the Hound. How are you going to beat the flaming sword against the Hound? Yeah, I agree. I, I would vote for Beric Dondarrion. That's 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 kind of my... I mean, Yunkai is kind of like cool, but it happened off screen. 
which is a shame. It's just like we thought they were going to surrender, and then they didn't, and then all of a sudden it was all all was well. Um, Sam killing a White Walker was more reactionary than actionary. <laughs> he just, it's true he stabbed it, but the falling apart bit was what was really cool, and that was just kind of unexpected right. and all that stuff. Yeah, Beric Nadarian gets my vote. For me, it's Jorah, Dario, and Grey Worm because they head into those gates like something out of every other medieval story that we've written, you know, where it's like, it's Power Rangers versus the Putties. They're just <laughs> severely outnumbered, but they know how to fight them correctly. And the three of them just kick all of the asses. Grey Worm's got his big-ass spear. You see Jorah getting some action. All and Dario maybe isn't that much of a chump. So, I mean, all of these scenes are great. I got to give it to that, though. They kicked a lot of ass. That's fair. And they came out... They came out victors with all the people. <laughs> well, so, with yeah. that, um, so definitely, I mean, guys, you can vote on this every week now for the next foreseeable future and, and past weeks as well. Um, you know, there are awards going. It's the Wicknet Awards. Yeah, we have some fun plans with the interaction at the very end of all of these things. So stick close to them and vote because uh, it matters. So go to winteriscoming.net. And uh, finally, one other way that you can leave us feedback is by heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a rate and review. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable in the month of September. We got one day left here to go before we hit October. And, oh, no. uh, and then you know what's going to happen in October. Nothing less than five Game stars. Game of Thrones costumes are coming. Ah. Ah. <laughs> so I'd like to re-review here uh, from our great listener, Explosions in My Pants. Yeah. Ah, great listener. Great yes, listener. They say, absolutely love the show. The hosts are entertaining as well as informative. I often pick up on things I hadn't discovered on my first read-through. But my absolute favorite part is fiendishly laughing as the hosts speculate, knowing very well that they are terribly wrong or right. So thank you to mm. Ex- Mr. Explosions. They, uh, yes, I want to thank Mr. Explosions in the pants for not saying that they are always wrong or that they are always right. It's a little bit up there. I think lives are hanging in the balance and we're not sure. So that's cool. Thank you for your support. And final review here uh, today from... John underscore Webster, who uh, says, typically podcasts are not my thing. I've never listened to one regularly, and truth be told, I still wouldn't be, if not for my current circumstances. I've been pretty much secluded in my living room with some earphones and the Song of Ice and Fire book collection <laughs> for many months. <laughs> I just read ahead. Keep going, please. I have things to do, but actor Christian Nairn has been standing outside, visible through my window, intimidating me with a certain prosthetic body part. Oh, God. The latest occasion of this was accompanied by a piece of paper saying the words, quote, write a five-star review, end quote. He then smacked the prosthetic... Against the window, shaking it, something fierce. You know what's fun about all this is we don't even pay Christian to do that. He just <laughs> no. he, he just does he it. actually he just volunteers. takes threats that seriously. He says, you know, he he's got a duty. You know, he's very yeah. he's dutiful. Uh, but uh, Mr. John Webster goes on to say, I know you guys have some sway with him, so maybe you could persuade him to go do something else. If he's done filming, maybe you could distract him by asking him onto the show again. Even like five minutes would give me a huge sigh of relief. Just so you know, though, even with this current threat, I would still say you guys are really great. You're all insanely likable, and the book discussions have been fantastic and a great way to spend the off-season or on-season, whatever. Yeah! Dang yeah. it. I was waiting for it. 
Dang it, there he goes again. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, guys, can this be considered evidence? Uh, if so, we should find out how to get this shit deleted immediately. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's inadmissible on account of us all being underage. I like okay, the fact that uh, John got a little creative right there. So yeah, in his review, that was a lot of fun. To read. Appreciate that, John. Big time. If that's not enough goodness for you, if you've been paying attention to the numerology associated with how many episodes we have, Wednesday is our monumental 150th episode. Do I hear any applause? Applause. Uh, okay, good. Insert the applause light is lit up. Uh, if you're clapping at home, we really appreciate it because we have some fun things planned for Wednesday's episode, including a little window of time on Tuesday that you can get slightly involved with that. So just stick close to our Facebook, Twitter accounts, yada, yada, yada. You'll be there and be in touch with it all, and it'll be a good, fun time. We look forward to it. Absolutely, and uh, I will... Uh do my best to try and make that show in some way shape or form i will be um most likely traveling to begin my bartering with selena i hear she drives a very hard bargain for camel balls so yeah you're you know, gonna that, need to sell yeah. like your tractor and your firstborn just sell one of the camels from your camelry that you're taking that's true but take yeah. their balls first she gets <laughs> straight the whole camel for it fair exchange this is Game of Bones. We love you guys for listening. It is a fun time, and I'm going to say my name now. I'm Zach Louie. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Eric, watch out for that train. <laughs> I'm going to try not to get hit by this train that's coming <laughs> through my apartment right now. <laughs> <laughs>